0: Got your Bibles? Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter four. We're going to start there today. Matthew chapter four. But before I read these verses, uh, starting out, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that just irks me—I guess it kind of just—it bothers me—as um, far as one of the things that we see a lot in our culture today things that, you know, are happening or the way that uh, the world is coming against the church or coming against Christianity, there's a lot of different ways that it happens, a lot of attacks. But one of the things that really just, it gets me a lot is this idea from the, you know, non-church world, or I would even say the people that are uh, against the church, against Christianity, Right. The, the, one of the things that the, the kind of the viewpoint or the, the theory, if you will, is that Christians are just simply intolerant of anybody else or any other views or any other way of life that's not according to their own faith, right? And there's this idea that if we as a, as a people and as a church... Are not widely accepting every type of thing, every type of behavior, every type of individual that we are somehow being almost like a bigot or being intolerant, and that that's not really the way that we're supposed to be. And so, and, and because of that, a lot of times the church's view or the church's voice on issues or matters will a lot of times just get dismissed. They're sort of pushed to the side, and the and people would just sort of chalk that up to well, you know, Christians and the church, they just they're intolerant of, of anything else that isn't according to their beliefs. Now. That theory may hold a little bit of water in the beginning, on the surface. But if you start to dig down into that and really kind of peel back the layers, it isn't anything solid at all. Because the fact of the matter is, is that as a church and as Christians, we as believers, we're not being intolerant of people we're not being unaccepting of individuals the person that they are that god made them to be but we're, we're simply making a stand in, on multiple fronts and in multiple places about things that are what we believe to be the wrong behaviors or the wrong belief systems or the wrong actions that people that maybe aren't a part of the church are trying to advance and push forward and become a mainstream, widely accepted part of society. Now, I don't want to get too deep on you today, but I'm like philosophical here. But my point is, is that it's very important for us as believers to understand where the lines of right and wrong are, where truth and lie are, according to our faith, and be able to make a firm stand on those issues and in those areas while being loving and very caring and very compassionate towards all of humanity, but not being willing to compromise and be accepting and tolerate things that we would allow to begin to move into our places of living that we know are not of God and are not the way that the Bible mandates us to live as a society and that we know if we live certain ways that we will be blessed as a people and as a land. So we can't, there's a main big difference between the idea of being an intolerant towards people versus being intolerant of things that we would deem to be wrong or sin or not what the bible commands us to do right if you agree everybody say amen if you agree with that so where it begins is it be it begins with us and in our own lives and in ourselves meaning we have to in order to properly make this kind of a stand, in order to be in line with being the people that we espouse our faith to, to be, right, in order to be that person, for that to flow out of who we are, not just a bunch of theories, a bunch of statements that we don't necessarily always live by, but in order to be the kind of people that can firmly make a stand and can firmly hold back the things that are not of God moving into the places we live. We have to first ourselves in our own lives become very, very intolerant of our own sin. Okay? Yeah, this is gonna be a good one today, I think. So we have to become very intolerant and very rigid about the sin that would threaten to take hold of us. For individually ourselves, of the things that the enemy would try to use to begin to overtake us and to begin to grow in our own lives, if we're going to be the kind of people that can stand firm and advance God's will in society and in our land, and be able to do it in such a way where we love people but we hate sin, we have to first be the kind of people that we are intolerant and rigid about not allowing those kinds of things to grow up and pop up and sort of spring up in our own lives and in order to do that we have to understand how subject and how vulnerable each and every one of us as believers are to that kind of thing happening because make no mistake when you claim jesus is lord when you accept him as your savior and you're going to go on to be with him in paradise You have got a bullseye on you from here on out. And if the enemy can somehow manage to get in your life and he can somehow manage to build a pattern of sin listen, wherever it needs to be he doesn't care where it needs to be he just wants to get at you in the areas he can and when he finds them he will press those buttons and he will continue to beat that drum knowing that that possibly that person is vulnerable and he can begin to build a pattern of sin in their life in an area that they're weak so that it can begin to come compromise the integrity of their testimony, of their witness, of their theories that they proclaim that would potentially bring credit and glory to God. But ultimately, it, he also knows that if he can begin to build a pattern of sin in someone's life, then he sin is ultimately creating a separation, kind of creating this distance or this gap, if you will, between the person and between God. Because as we sin, right, and the Holy Spirit's living on the inside of us, sin is not of God. God is pure and He is holy. And so if we continue to build sin upon sin and mount up patterns of sin in our life, it basically creates more and more of a distance between us and God in terms of just that closeness and that fellowship, right? It doesn't move the Holy Spirit out of us, but it just kind of creates this distance where the voice of God just maybe isn't quite as clear, or the concise lines of truth of what's right and what's wrong maybe aren't quite as clear, or the strength and the, and the perseverance that we need to continue enduring hardship and moving through things according to what God is calling us to do maybe becomes increasingly more difficult, and so I'm trying to just give you an idea of sin of what sin ultimately starts to do in our lives if it builds up and we have to understand how this pattern works basically what you have before sin is rampant and it is creating these issues and these problems in people's lives before that it begins in the form of what we call temptation okay temptation comes From the enemy, not from God. It's important that we make that distinction. God is not an agent of temptation. But God will allow temptation to happen in order to make us stronger. Say amen to that if you believe that. So temptation will continue to come in our lives for as long as we're going to be around in different ways. Now temptation in itself is not sin. Okay, temptation is something that will come at all of us, but when that temptation is harbored in our lives, when we sort of mow that thing around long enough and entertain it long enough where it actually then sort of spills over into some kind of a response on our part, that's when it becomes sin. And that's when we've sort of stepped over that line. And so what I want to do, I want to go to Matthew chapter 4, because Jesus himself was tempted, right? Jesus himself was tempted in many ways when he walked the face of this earth, But Jesus was without sin. In fact, he's the only person of which who has ever walked this world that we can say that of. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was tempted in all things, even as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now, this is very, very powerful because Jesus, even though he was free of sin, he was definitely tempted as a person who walked this earth just like all of us are but what Jesus never allowed to have happen is he never allowed that temptation to spill over into the point where he actually committed a sin because of the temptation and so what Jesus is saying is 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 kind of pleading with us as he's saying, I'm I'm pleading with you to live holy, to live lives that you're not entertaining and, and harboring temptation and overspilling into sin in your lives and defiling yourself. But be but he's saying, because he did what he did. On the cross, because he lived a sinless life, we have the ability to come boldly to his throne of grace and find the strength and find the grace that we need to be able to resist the temptations, to be able to withstand those things that are going to come against us so that we don't allow sin to begin to grow up and have its way in our lives and ultimately put us off course or off of step of the plans and the things that God has has for us it's not because any of us can somehow train ourselves or build ourselves up in such a way where we're going to like have the willpower to withstand temptation and walk without committing sins it's because jesus did it already and he established a way for us to come to him and find the grace we need in order to do that, so let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 1. And where this is starting out is this is right after Jesus uh, gets baptized by John the Baptist. And the, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And we all know what the voice of God said. What? It said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, right? So right after that, picking up in verse one, this is what happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let me just pause right there for a second. You can see right here clearly that even though God is not the agent of temptation, right, what is happening? The, the, the Spirit is leading Jesus ...into the wilderness so that he can be tempted... Is that interesting to anybody else except for me, right? He's leading him into the wilderness so he can be tempted. So we can draw from that. There must be something about the process of the temptation that if we're going to come out on the other side victoriously, that ultimately will be good for our soul, that there's something beneficial, that there's something purposeful according to the hand of God in our lives that temptation is allowed to be able to come. Come against us. Amen? If anybody's been tempted, raise your hand. Say, I've been tempted, right? All right. Now, verse two, and when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. I guess so. <laughs> I'd be hungry too after 40 days and 40 nights. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the, the temptor, right? You catch that part too? And and came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Temptation number one. The enemy tried to get him to bite on this temptation, which is basically a temptation of the flesh. Right? And we can look at a lot of different uh, sins or temptations that we could classify as flesh. But he's hungry, his flesh is desiring something, and so the, the enemy is tempting him with that. He's saying, hey, you know, tell these stones to become bread and make them bread because you're so hungry, you, obviously you want to eat. But what Jesus' response is, he says, no, man shall not live by bread alone. Because he understands this is a temptation, This is not something that's from God. And why does he know that? He knows that because there's enough of the truth in him, there's enough of God's will in him, of God's word, of God's truth, that he understands when something that's coming against him that is opposing to that. Right? He recognizes, no, this is from the tempter, this is temptation, this is not of God. And the truth that is inside of him begins to spring forth and put up that opposition and put up that resistance that he needs. Now he gets tempted a second time. It says in verse 5, the devil took him up into the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So the enemy, he's picking up his game here. He's coming at him now with what I would call is a temptation of pride, right? He's trying to, hey, man, this be prideful. You're the son of God. You These things are under your feet. You know, he's trying to get him to abuse his authority. He's trying to get him to be prideful and boastful in who he is. And it's he even quotes Scripture. The enemy even quotes Scripture here. What does he say? He says, he shall give his angels charge over you in their hands, uh, in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. He starts quoting scripture, but what does Jesus do? He says, mm, you're twisting it. No, you're manipulating it. How many times does that not happen in society, right? I mean, people, the enemy will use people to try to use the word and manipulate it to use it even against us. This is why it's so important. We've got to have the truth in us, enough of the truth in us to say, ah, no, wait a minute. I know that's what you're saying, but that is not what God wants. That is not what God's will is. That's temptation. That's pride, and I am not going to bite on that thing, devil. right? And that's what Jesus ultimately recognizes right away. And then the third time it comes The the devil tempts him, and it says again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, first of all, right there in verse 10, where he says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Look, that truth was so resident in Jesus. He was, it was so you know in him that what the devil was trying to do to tempt him using these other forms of scripture and everything else it didn't have the ability to get him to bite to get him to take that temptation and move over onto the roll that thing over to the point where it actually became sin in his life and so we've got to have that kind of truth in us we've got to be people where we're we talked about this just last week right where we're filling our two weeks ago we're filling ourselves with the word of God and with the truth and it and As we do, that thing gives us the ability to recognize when the temptations that the enemy is going to bring at us. And we can see he's crafty. He's a crafty son of a gun, isn't he? I mean, he's even using Scripture to try to do it. And when he brings that stuff at us, that we've got the truth in us, and we can say, no, this is not what God wants for me. I know, I know as sure as I'm standing here today that God does not want me to act on that. He does not want me to uh, to bite on that. That's strictly a temptation that's not going to produce the kind of thing that God wants to produce in my life and so right after this it says then the devil left him and behold angels came and ministered to him this is really powerful because jesus withstands three temptations that are very common temptations if you want to classify them or sin that we see even now today in our own society and if we're honest even in our own lives there's the temptation of the flesh and we could name a bunch of those off right I'm not going to go into all the detail, but there's a temptation of the flesh. There's pride. And here on the one where he's on the high mountain, he's saying, I'm going to give you all this. Here's greed, right? He's trying to tempt him with greed. He's trying to get him to bite. And those things come in so many different subtle forms. We look at it and we read it here and we say, well, that's so obvious what's going on. Listen, when it's happening in our own lives, it might not quite be just so obvious it might seem a lot more subtle but really that thing of pride or that thing of greed could be tempting us and sneaking in and ultimately getting us to compromise something that really is truth or that really is a part of who God has called us to be and we move forward on that thing and then that begins to start a pattern of what the enemy wants to do in our lives because a sin ultimately just is, is designed to continue to create a pattern of sin in our lives. In fact, if you read in this in the scripture scriptures and you study the words that are used for sin there's there's a a lot of times that the word that's used is is a pattern of sin or a lifestyle of sin not just necessarily one individual sin but ultimately that is what the enemy is trying to do he's trying to get that to build a pattern of sin in our lives and if you think about it look at think about David okay David King David the first thing that really crept in and got a hold of him was the temptation of lust right He's up there, he's watching Bathsheba on the top of the, of the house, right? And he's, he's seeing what he's seeing, you know, he's seeing what he's seeing. And he's checking it out. He's, <laughs> I mean, the dude ain't going anywhere. He's, oh, I can't, no, he ain't doing one of those. I don't know if they had telescopes, but chances are they had something that he rigged up. I'm just saying. Oh, King David. <laughs> That's where it started. What happened next? The enemy's like, I got him. I got my foot in the door here. I'm just going to send, I'm just going to start dropping some thoughts in now that I built a little doorway here and I'm going to get him to, to know that he can have that, right? And so next thing that happens is adultery. Comes right after that. Then what happens after that? Murder, right? He has Bathsheba's husband killed. All of a sudden, where, where did David go? Man, this thing just escalated and grabbed, it grabbed him in just a little spot, a short little vulnerable weak point and then, boom, it flooded in. And all of a sudden, we've got this pattern. We've got this lifestyle that's beginning to play itself out. If he doesn't get a hold of himself here, if something doesn't change, he's in trouble. The enemy is going to have his way with him, right? And and But ultimately, what happens, thankfully, is that David comes to his senses. And what does he do? He repents. He repents. He recognizes that he has got so far away from the will of God and what's true and what's right. And he begins to turn back to God and he repents and God you know, grants him forgiveness and he's able to sort of move forward now in a, in a new light and kind of with a swift step from that point on because the dead weight of sin that was bearing him down has just been broke free by the sovereign hand of God. God just chose to do that, forgive him. This was before Jesus came, right? And so, listen, we as Christians... Our lives are not any different necessarily than King David, except for we have a high priest now. That went, And he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And that we have, the Bible says that he wrote his law on our heart, right? And so when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we are are relying on his word and his truth that's filling in us to help establish that conviction so that we can recognize the temptations that are ultimately definitely going to come in our lives. And we can turn to the one that gives us the grace and the strength to be able to resist those temptations, to withstand that in our moments of weakness, but even more so, if we find ourselves moving over into that thing where it actually became a sin in our life, where it actually did do something to cause us to act on it, right, then we have the ability to go to Jesus, our Heavenly Father, and ask for for forgiveness and he will wash that thing away and we can begin to move forward with that swift step with that cleanliness that we need in our lives I remember I was talking to my daughter about this just the other night where she was asking questions we were kind of explaining this concept and she's like well wait a minute I thought Jesus came to forgive sin I'm like well he did but you know we're sinners and we still have a sinful nature so we're still going to sin, you know, and and we have to ask Jesus to forgive us, and when we do sin, we recognize that we've hurt Jesus, and so we need to ask for forgiveness, and then he forgives us and kind of makes us clean again. She's like, so it's kind of like a white t-shirt that you put on after Jesus becomes in your heart, but then after that, if you do something wrong and you sin, it's kind of like the shirt gets dirty. And then when you go to Jesus and because you've, you're sad because you've hurt his heart, then you ask him to forgive you, and he washes that dirt off the shirt, and it's white, and it's clean again. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually exactly what it's like, really. That's probably the best metaphor I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm going to use that in my message. First John chapter 1. Turn there for a second. And this is in verse 8, okay? It says, if we say that we have no sin then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's very clear that we see that as people who have received Christ there is a there is a provision here. There is a, a a work of God that's been put in place for us to understand that when we screw up, when we make a mistake, that we are expected to have a response to that, not to just move on and carry on and let that thing stay there or mount up or continue to grow into more of a pattern. Our ex- the expectation is is that we recognize that because we've 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 done something that is. Uh, against or opposing to the truth of God, and we've done that in our lives, and we turn and we say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I need you to forgive me. Will you please forgive me of the sin and make me clean? And he is faithful to do that every single time when we turn to him with a repentful heart, right? And I think that's one of the most important parts of Scripture that a lot of times preachers miss when they're preaching about sin, I mean, look, I, I felt very led to talk about this today because I feel like God is just saying, look, you know, you gotta make a, we gotta make a stand against this stuff. We gotta be intolerant of sin in our life. We're we're called to be a holy people, you know, we're called to live righteous lives and we gotta be an influence, we gotta make a difference in our world. And we're not gonna do that if what the life behind our testimony is is totally contrary to everything we believe in, and we say we're believing it, right? So, but when you talk about that and you talk about sin, you've gotta preach first John chapter one. You have got to talk about how God is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness when we repent. And the idea is is that we have the truth in us, we have God in us, And so whenever something comes against us, we can recognize the temptation. But if we haven't filled ourselves with enough of the truth yet where maybe it does get us and it turns over into sin, then we immediately then recognize that. We say, I am stopping this thing before this becomes a pattern in my life. And something like what happened to David starts to mount up. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm I'm repenting of this. I'm going to turn to God. He's going to forgive me. And I'm going to be made clean. And I'm going to move forward. And this thing is not going to have a hold on me anymore. And from a spiritual standpoint, spiritual warfare standpoint, a supernatural thing, that's what happens when you do that. That thing is, boom, broken off of you. It is, boom, It's whatever hold it's got in your life, whatever things it's got in your mind or your thoughts or anything else, it is ripped right out of there by the hand of God, and you're, you're brought back into a place where you're moving forward unhindered in and in, uh, oppressed by that thing in your life right and we have the ability to do that any moment and at any time you don't need 50 members of a congregation to lay hands on you for that that's just something that you hey this is this is what jesus did for me i know that this is what i have right and we turn to him and we do that but the key is is that we hurt because Jesus hurts when something goes wrong, right? We hurt because we've hurt Jesus. That's the key. It's not like some just you punch a ticket anytime you do something wrong and it's like starting over again. It's, oh, this, this grips me. This hurts my heart. That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit, right? And I need to do something. I need to deal with this. This is not right, you know, and we make a stand, and we make a decision to, to turn to him in that. I remember Katie and I, we used to play this, uh, this video game. Oh, wow, I'm running out of time. We used to play this video game. Um, what was it, Angry Birds? Anybody ever play that one, Angry Birds? All right. Anyway. So we were like, see how far we could get in the level, and then, like, you know, you get to the next level, and then you got to play it a few times before you can beat it. And so we would take turns. Like, I would try the level, and if I didn't beat it, it was her turn. Well, I had this little, like, there's a, a button that you can just really quick press, and it restarts the round over, you know? And so anytime I made, like, one wrong move, I'm like, ooh, restart, you know? And I just keep pressing that restart button, and I'm like, I didn't take the full turn. I didn't die. I didn't lose all my guys, you know? She's like, you can't keep, you've taken like five turns. You can't keep doing that, you know. She did the same thing too, just so you know. It's the little button underneath, you know, you just pop it and boom, starts you over. Well, look, life isn't like that. We don't just, oh, restart, 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 where there's no conviction there. That's not how, you know, it works. This is... This is conviction. This is, you know what? I want to live right before God, but I know that the enemy is going to tempt me, and I know that I need to to fill myself with the truth, and I need to make a stand. And when I recognize that something is going on, I need to turn to God to help me withstand the temptation. Or if we even right now, listen, here's what happens when you talk about something like this. Right now, as I'm speaking, I guarantee you somebody is here today that God is putting a bullseye. He's shining a light on something that's in your life that's sin he's shining a light on it he's showing it to you He's saying, look, this is not what I want for you. And when that happens, we begin to recognize 1 John chapter 1 says, you know what? I can turn to Jesus. I'm going to do away with this thing. I don't want this in my life anymore. I want to start fresh. I want to move forward, and I want to be able to withstand all the temptations that are going to come against me. And I don't want this. I don't, I want God's will for my life, and I don't want to be the kind of person that's moved to and fro and tossed here and there in the wind Because I don't recognize that these temptations are coming against me and they're getting a hold on me, right? And they will. They will. Look at what happened after Jesus withstood the temptation, right? It says the devil left him. And then he goes on from there into his years, three years plus of ministry on the earth, doing exactly what God sent him to do. I think it's amazing that Jesus' temptation here is kind of bookended before the temptation there's an encounter right the holy spirit comes on him he's baptized in the in the water by john and the holy spirit falls on him like a dove there's an encounter and then after the withstanding of the temptation jesus is released and he's he's propelled out into ministry to do what God has called him to do. And I think this is just kind of like a little microcosm of our lives. People have encounters. God does something. He shows up. He heals them. He saves them. He does something powerful in their lives. They have a genuine encounter with the one true God. And he touches their heart. And they're ready to live for him. And then temptation starts to come. But what did we see? The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. There was a purpose for that, and ultimately, Jesus comes out on the other end, strengthened and stronger, and he's released and propelled forward into the most amazing ministry walk that's ever taken place on the face of the planet. You and I are not so different in the sense that God is going to do things in our life, and we're going to get stirred up. We're going to want to do things, and we're going to move out, and it's not going to be roses. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be temptations flying at us from different directions, places that we may be vulnerable, weaknesses that we might have that the devil knows we have, and if he can somehow get us off course before we get to that outpouring part where it's the ministry, the release, the purpose of God, he's going to try to do that by getting us derailed, but if we recognize that, you know what? Temptation is nothing more than the devil trying to get me off course of what God's trying to do in my life. You remember those uh, old commercials where it was so annoying? It was like, beep, beep, beep. This is just a test, right? And it was like it come on the television. Yeah. That, mean? that was what you're, that was, anyway. <clears throat> it's, only a test. it's only a test. That's right. That's what I was trying to say. It's only a test. And if we recognize that, look, the enemy, he's going to try to do these things. He's going to try to come at us. He's going to tempt us. It's just a test. God, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond anything that we are able to bear and that through it he will make a way of escape or he'll make a way through that thing. Anything, make no mistake about it, this is the truth of God. Anything that comes against you in your life that's a temptation, you are able to make it through. And some people would say, I don't know. Because there's things that have happened to me that if you knew it was so bad, I don't think you would say that. I don't claim to have walked in your shoes. I don't know the emotions that you've pulled that you've dealt with to go through that thing but I know what the word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond anything that you are not able to bear. And thankfully with that also it implies that the things we're not able to bear we don't recognize but he is holding back from having their way with us. God's hand is in front of you around your life saying nope that's too much nope that's more than they can bear that's going to make them stronger that's going to make them stronger and i'm going to get them through that i'm going to pull them through that as they continue to walk with me amen james chapter 4 verse 17 it says therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin and listen you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free, right? It will set you free because it will help you recognize what's not of God in your life and what is. But make no mistake, man, when you get that truth, when you get that conviction, you got you to deal with that. To him who knows what to do and does not do it, it is sin. And so the Bible is clear about this. It talks about this in Luke chapter 12 too, where it says that you know, if, if him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, worse is it for him that does the wrong thing and didn't know to do it. There's still an accountability factor. There's still, we're still accountable for everything. But when the Holy Spirit is leading us and speaking to us and helping us to understand where the temptations are in our life, that we shouldn't be messing around with that we shouldn't be dealing with that have the potential if we don't deal with them appropriately if we don't look to god to help us that they can turn over into sin and that the enemy can begin to just have his way with us if we don't recognize that it's not going to be good for us when and look sometimes this is the most inconvenient thing in the world i've been in play, like like seriously things where it was like really god I'm not supposed to do that. Like, come on, okay. But man, once I get it, I know I'm on, I got I to gotta make the right choice here. I got to make a decision. God has put his light on this thing. I can't try to turn the light off and act like I didn't hear that or I didn't see that. I need to, and you know what ultimately happens when you do? You begin to, move forward, and you begin to leap forward, I guarantee you, you will feel moments of advancement and forward movement of leaping forward in your life and the things that God has for you like you've never felt before. You would be amazed, many of you know, when you make the decision, I am done with that thing, God spoke it, I'm just not messing around with it, I know, and I need him to help me with sand, but I am done with that. It is amazing how some of the greatest advancements in our faith and in our lives of what god has for it happens in those seasons isn't it and it's powerful and i wouldn't trade it for anything i wouldn't trade it for anything so i want to end with this thing.